From the American Association of Nurse Practitioners, I'm your host, AANP President April Kapu, and this is NP Pulse, the voice of the nurse practitioner. Welcome to NP Pulse, AANP's official podcast bringing you unique nurse practitioner voices and expertise on issues that matter to NPs and our patients. Our guest today is Dr. Peter Bearhouse, a nurse practitioner and healthcare economist who is well known for his studies and publications focused on the nursing and physician workforces in the United States. He is a professor in the College of Nursing and director of the Center for Interdisciplinary Health Workforce Studies at Montana State University. His work contributed in no small part to the exciting news you may have heard recently out of Montana. After the recording of this episode, Montana State University announced that Mark and Robin Jones, founders of Goosehead Insurance, had given a philanthropic gift of $101 million to its School of Nursing to help expand access to health care, particularly for rural and frontier communities. This is the largest gift ever received by a nursing school. AANP would like to thank Dr. Bearhouse and the rest of Montana State University Administration and the School of Nursing faculty for their phenomenal work in this front, and also Mark and Robin Jones for their incredibly generous gift and recognition of the value and solutions to healthcare accessibility that nurse practitioners provide. Now it's time to get started. I'm honored today to welcome Dr. Peter Bearhouse to NP Pulse. Peter, welcome to MP Pulse. Hey, April. It is terrific to be with you, and I, I mean that sincerely. And I want the listeners to know, I've known April for about 15 years, and uh, we've had some interactions by electronic internet and some face-to-face things. And I can tell you, uh, April is an incredible leader on the ground, and in organizations, and now uh, she is serving in this role as president of the AANP, AANP, and I could not be more thrilled (laughs) to have you leading us. So, April, thank you for the time and effort you're taking to lead our organization. So, I'm just thrilled to be with you. Thank you. I, 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 I gotta say, I was just delighted when you agreed to joining our podcast. I just so enjoy listening to all your presentations and you're just truly uh, one of our foremost nursing leaders today. And um, I, for the, for the sake of the listeners and, you know, I know you um, pretty well um, and hopefully we'll get to know each other a little bit better today, but for the sake of the listeners, I really would love for them to be able to hear your journey, your professional journey to where you are today. I mean, you are one of our foremost healthcare economists and nursing researchers, and it didn't just happen overnight. So I, could you just tell us a little bit about how you got to this point? Yeah, well, thanks, April. Um, So I would say that 
I began as a registered nurse, and I had my first experience on an orthopedic surgical unit. Uh, I floated to the cardiac care unit. I liked that work. Then I got promoted to be the head nurse of a surgical unit. And I have to tell you, that was the hardest job I think I've ever had in my life. I failed miserably as a (laughs) unit manager. I just, I wanted to do good, but I just didn't seem to be able to, to really help lead that unit to the to my standards at any rate. So that prompted me to go to graduate school. And I went to the University of Michigan to get a master's degree in nursing health services administration. This was a tough 60 credit master's program. And two things really fundamental happened when I was in this program. The first, I discovered uh, this sort of unknown but real passion almost love of of healthcare economics. I just couldn't get enough of economics and the application to healthcare. And suddenly it was like uh, I I began to see the reality of why our healthcare systems were built the way they are and what happens to providers and how this all affects nurses. And it just sort of grabbed me and and it still grabs me and I can't Mm -hmm. shake it and I'm glad it hasn't. Um, And I remember... I, I began working with this very famous healthcare economist, and I um, talked to him one day and said, you know, there's these nurse practitioners, these clinical nurse specialists, these nurse midwives and CRNAs, and, and they're pretty fascinating, and I think there's going to be an important role for them. This is way back in the 80s, yeah. and of course, I knew about this. And he goes, all right, convince me. Write a paper on whether or not they're economic substitutes or complements. Tell me why theoretically, how you would measure this and the policy implications. Wow, that just took me deep. Oh, well, it was incredible, April, because I had to really get deep into this. And so it whetted my appetite for years. And it finally, as we'll probably talk later, uh, you know, got expressed. But it, it created this interest way, way back. The second thing that happened to me at Michigan was I took a course on the history and politics of nursing. And it was taught by Beatrice and Philip Kalish. And they had written a book uh, of the same topic. And this book made me so aware of the many people in our history that had worked so hard to make these advancements. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Pioneers. many of them were mm-hmm. nurse practitioners. And mm-hmm. it was stunning. And I, I just couldn't believe it. And so I thought... I want to do something, too, that's important. And maybe if I use this economic perspective and develop that, but but still think of the world from a nursing perspective, maybe I could do something. And there were no role models at that time, but it was that moment, I think, when we're lucky to have this vision, that's something that takes over us. And I was smart enough to just go with it. And it took a long time, but uh, I never regret that. Um, And I think the last thing I would say is that at Michigan, when I was in my Ph.D. program, it was a struggle. They didn't know what to do with somebody who wanted to study economics, so they sort of tolerated me. But it took me longer than my others in in my cohort. But I worked for the CEO of the University of Michigan's teaching hospitals and later uh, as the assistant to the vice provost for the medical center, the whole caboodle. And it help me understand much deeper the organizational issues of these big institutions. And 
my job was to become an expert on health policy to help inform the leaders mm-hmm. about what was going on. So it really gave me this intense interest uh, for health policy. And after Michigan, my PhD, I, I went to uh, the University of Iowa for a year. I did a postdoc at Johns Hopkins in healthcare finance. Then I went to Harvard for nine years. And then, wow. um, yeah, and, and then Vanderbilt came along and that was wonderful. I spent 15 years. That's when I be, I got to know you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I finally, um, I left Vanderbilt in 2015 just to be near the mountains, the West that uh, I love and my wife. So wow. that's, that's the, that's how I got here. <laughs> It's so hard for me to just envision you being the head nurse. I think I would be trembling <laughs> in my nursing shoes if you were the head nurse. And I just, uh, I, I, that is such a neat pearl that you shared there. Oh, and they I were think hoping about, I wouldn't come in that day. <laughs> <laughs> but wow, you found your passion early. And, and, and wow, what a statement about nurses that it may not be the traditional or what you would think and how you found a, a way to complement, you know, how, you know, economics and nursing. And, and you definitely have achieved and become one of those pioneers. And, and when I, when I, you know, talk to you or I listen to one of your presentations, I always think of you as just the, the expert, the foremost um, expert in, you know, in nursing today, and you're on a pedestal. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I imagine many of our listeners feel the same way. And I, you know, I think of you as always researching something and always writing papers and or reviewing papers or teaching or presentations. And it almost seems like it just takes all your time. Do you ever have time to do anything else? I mean, tell us a little bit more about the real Peter Bearhouse. Uh-oh. <laughs> oh, let's see. My wife has left the room, so that's good. Uh, I would say, well, speaking of her, I would say there are, the f- one big passion is w- my wife and I, we like to get up uh, about four in the morning. Oh, and wow. Go, yeah. yeah. Still we, on the nursing schedule. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> uh, but this time, uh, rather than going uh, to the hospital, we go to Yellowstone National Park and we go in out onto the back country. And our goal is to be on the trail about 615 uh, so that we can be out ahead of any crowds. Um, but we get a chance to see the wildlife and sort of be part of that whole scene and it's it's very organizing. It just sort of helps keep perspective and a, a mm-hmm. bit of calm and a chance to talk uh, with each other. And so far, we've seen seventeen bears and many oh, many wolves wow. this year. Oh, so gosh. we're having a good year. <laughs> uh, so the other thing that I've I've enjoyed in my life is horseback riding. And mm-hmm. I used to go out uh, in in parts of Wyoming and do a lot of. Uh, pack trips uh, for an outfitter, and I would go out and uh, help guide the the trips for four or five, six nights out in the mountains and really get into some really deep, uh, crazy areas, Uh, had some adventures. But Mm -hmm. that that love of horses, um, I I got further into it. I, I used to actually teach here at Montana State University horseback riding. 
And, oh, here's another. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I wrote a little uh, manual on, on how to understand horses, how to communicate with horses, how to ride them safely. And I have never enjoyed being with students more is to sort of um, walk through that process of, of understanding uh, sentinel. It's pretty yeah. amazing. Yeah. Then the last are... thing I'd say is drums. Uh, all my life, I wanted to be a drummer in a rock and roll band. And that was that was who I was going to become. But I never had the hair for it. And <laughs> but, but I had the, the it was in me. And so three or four years ago, I started to take up the drums. And so now I, I play them as often as I can. It's good for my mental health. And my instructor tells me that I am now capable of playing in most bars, um, okay. and, and ideally you want everybody as drunk as possible so they won't hear you. <laughs> <laughs> and and now he's pushed me into jazz to get me really out of my zone and to push me and learn. And oh, I'm, that is tough. I <sighs> I don't know if I'm going to make it, but I'm going to give it a good work. So that's my, that's the other part of me. That's my dad was a drummer, so oh. I just automatically uh, remember all that and. You're, you could come and play at the Nashville airport. Oh. I, yeah. I mean, yeah. people getting off the plane. and Well, now I understand a little bit because I could not believe why you were leaving Vanderbilt. But now thinking yeah. you went to the wide open spaces mm-hmm. and, you know, just really feeling one with nature every day and, and the sunrise and the yep. wildlife. I can completely, completely understand <laughs> Best decision I ever made. I love Vanderbilt. It, it wasn't that I didn't like it. It was just it didn't have the mountains. It just didn't have the grizzly bears. Well, <laughs> the, and we get elk. you back as often as we can. <laughs> yeah. Well, gosh, I could just we could talk all day about this. You just have so many little neat things that I didn't know. Um, they're so interesting. But I really want to get to the focus of our podcast mm-hmm. today and. Um, as we talked and, and prepared a little bit for this podcast, I was really, really wanting to hear more about an article that you wrote a few years ago. And the article is entitled, it was in 2018. It was entitled Nurse Practitioners, A Solution to America's Healthcare Crisis, which was really profound um, because we've continued along our journey as as a healthcare system here in the U.S., you know, over the last few years, and continue to have uh, more and more issues. But as I read just the title itself, I immediately wonder, what do you mean about? Like, tell us a little bit more about primary healthcare crisis, and then particularly, what made you think about nurse practitioners? being a solution to that. Yeah. Um, well, I, I look at this as truly a crisis, um, and it has four, five, six sort of dimensions. So bear with me for a minute. But I think that uh, we all know, but we should realize that every year, the numbers of people with inadequate access to primary care in this country has been growing. Not shrinking, mm-hmm. getting larger. We're now up to about 80 million people with inadequate access, according to the latest. Crazy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's the first point. And we all know if good primary care can uh, is so important. And I don't want to take our time because we know this and whatever. 
Mm-hmm. Second, though, is um, we've had decades worth of policy, well-intended policy, to address the primary care issues, particularly in underserved areas, in the inner cities and rural areas. But, um, and vast sums of money have been allocated by the federal government, by the states. Much of the focus, though, has been on the physician workforce. We need more physicians to work in rural areas mm-hmm, or in these mm-hmm. other areas. And we have continued to infuse more and more programs that frankly, are just not delivering. Yes, they're making some improvements, but on the margin, not anything that we should uh, and can be proud of. We're just not uh, achieving that goal. So the second part of this crisis is this sort of blinded view that we need to just hit the physician workforce and that will solve us, our problems. Mm-hmm. Now, third, I think, sticking with physicians um, as you know, their numbers are expanding at a very small rate each year, about 1%. Especially in primary care. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And probably they'll be lucky if they're even in expanding. They're probably on the decreasing side. So we have shortages now, and we have growing shortages over the next over this decade in primary care and in non-primary care. And we know from some of our work that uh, the non-primary care specialties they actually provide primary care to many of their patients. So when we have fewer non-primary care physicians, we're also decreasing access to primary care, even though that may not be the focus of their uh, interaction with patients. So we've got this shrinking supply of physicians. um, And so just continuing to focus more on expanding the physician workforce is unlikely to ever get us Mm -hmm, out of this mm -hmm. crisis. So I think... Um, A fourth part of this crisis is that I think a lot of people think about geography and access. If you get NPs in rural areas or in underserved areas, that may do it, or physicians in that area. But it's it's not just about geographical access. It's about cultural issues, language issues, economic issues that keep some people away from providers, particularly physicians who are not Mm -hmm, necessarily... mm -hmm well-trained to deal with these issues. That's, I'm not knocking them. That's part of their, their, their socialization and how they practice. But they're coming right into people, contact with people who have these other barriers that are important to uh, primary care. And I would submit that nurse practitioners are for, far more educated and trained and have the abilities to interact with those populations than do most physicians. And understanding social determinants of health. I mean, our very nursing philosophy. And so maybe these 80 million plus, it's a a different type of person that needs a different type of health care. So I wondered, yeah, Yeah. when you were, when you, so this was several years ago, um, which is profound because we're dealing with this today. What was happening? I mean, did you already have all this in mind when you set about to write this or kind of what was the climate at yeah. that particular time as you began to draft this manuscript? So April, it actually begins a little earlier. It, it begins in 2010 when the Affordable Care Act was passed. And lo and behold, in the act was the establishment of a National Health Care Workforce Commission. And this was to advise Congress and the administration on 
the healthcare workforce and policies that would uh, you know, improve and strengthen the workforce to be able to implement health reform. And uh, to a long story short, I was named to be on this commission. The, the nursing profession sort of gathered together and nominated me to be on this commission. And then the Obama administration asked me to chair this commission, which came out of complete okay. thin air. Didn't see any of this wow. coming. But there it was. And this is a commission made up of uh, half or two-thirds of physicians who are uh, chief executives, leading academic medical centers, workforce researchers. And at that time... Everyone expected that would be the commission would be led by a physician, but mm -hmm. for whatever reason, they chose me, and it did raise some eyebrows to say the least. But I think the physician workforce knew us. Our, our teams had published studies about physicians and had been instrumental in sort of looking at w different ways of looking at the physician workforce. So I think they felt they could trust us. That. Trust me, I was fair and balanced, but mm -hmm. I, I would be empirically driven. So with that, um, I spent about 18 months on the Capitol Hill talking with members of the House and Senate, um, the administration, Republicans, Democrats. What was it that you wanted with this commission? What are the things that I should really focus on once it gets, gets funded? And time and time again, April, I would hear comments like, well, you know, about this primary care crisis, uh, what are we going to do about that? And we've been hearing about these nurse practitioners. H have you heard about nurse practitioners, Dr. Beerhouse? <laughs> and I would wink and say, yeah. Well, yes, and I have. I have. <laughs> and, you know, are they possible? Uh, are, uh, what's the quality of care? We have all these Medicare patients and I don't know. So it became clear that there was a lot of... Um, unawareness but the, about NPs, but Congress is interested. So as I knew it was going to take a while to get the commission funded, I organized several research teams and was able to attract some funders to support a family of studies that would look at the policy, the workforce implications, and the quality and cost of nurse practitioners. And the document that you're talking about, uh, Nurse Practitioners, a Solution to America's Primary Care Crisis, um, represents the uh, me trying to explain in very straightforward language to the policymaking community um, the fallacy of thinking that we can continue to rely on the physician workforce to address primary care that we needed to expand our vision and take a look at the nurse practitioner workforce and understand its contributions um, and then remove scope of practice restrictions because this right. is affecting millions of people um, and so forth. So that article or that document really brings to life, I think, um, the, the problems of primary care, and why um, physicians are part of the answer, but they're not the whole answer, that we really right. needed to move in a different direction. So it talks about the types of services MPs can provide, um, the, the cost of the services, the quality of care, the ability to take care of uh, dual eligible people who are both eligible for Medicare and Medicaid, the handicapped mm -hmm. in Medicare, um, 
it, it, it went after the notion of scope of practice is there to protect the public from poor quality providers. We would head mm-hmm. on and we attack that. We addressed that point of view that is expressed by some physicians and showed how uh, wrong that was. And so this document uh, was me trying to explain what we really have here. And mm-hmm. I, I say on a personal basis, I'm going, well, I have to be careful with what I say. Because I don't want to offend people, and this could, right. you know, have a backward, unintended consequences. And then, I, I got encouraged and said, "No, this is the time to tell it like it is, black mm-hmm. and white, straightforward." And I said to the American Enterprise Institute, "You know, this will be right down the middle. This is not going to be uh, wishy-washy." And they it's encouraged that. Yes, right? and mm-hmm. they stayed completely away from. It. Any editorial control, all they did was help take out some commas and add some us and thes and that kind of thing. <laughs> um, and so it was great because within two weeks, this document was circulating in the Trump White House and in subsequent, several subsequent uh, executive orders that were released by the Trump administration on health care. There were provisions calling for the states to get rid of these scope of practice regulations and allow nurse practitioners a much greater role. So, um, yeah, I think I, I hope that addressed what you were getting at. That, yes, I, I, it did address the question. And, and, and I, I'm just fascinated by um, the fact that that was all happening. And this is such a still a pervasive issue today. And, you know, we're well over 80 million Americans that lack access to primary care. One thing that we've realized is that those states, and there's 24 plus DC now, that have full practice authority, which is essentially a nurse practitioner, mm. can practice to the full extent of their education and training and their board certification. What we've found in those 24 states plus DC, that nurse practitioners are moving to those states and they're moving to rural areas. So they are meeting that need and they're providing care, just like you described, a care that is based on nursing philosophy, based on understanding social determinants of health and all of that. So I don't, you know, I'm going to just share with the listeners today to please, if they have not already, to go and pick up that um, document. And we say a document because it's in a very nice uh, flower. It's a uh, like fly, flyer. It's a fold out. And it's really, really nice, um, really nicely done to go and, and pick up that copy and read it word for word. Because the what you put together in that document is really where we want to go. And the amount of references, the bibliography, all of the different people that you collaborated with on that document, you can see that it's very fair. It's a very objective look. And it's really where we need to go in order to be able to provide health care to everyone, everywhere across yeah. our nation. Can I just jump in and say one other thing about this? Because I, I forgot to mention, uh, one of the things that was motivating to me in writing this document was I have had a number of experiences where I've spoken to physicians and I would provide uh, overviews of the studies and I would talk through some of these issues. And 
there was a range of reactions, some shaking their head in, uh, in a negative way, others shaking their head in a positive way. The whole continuum of people who embraced NPs and others who loathed them. And mm-hmm. I, I began to ask the audience, have you ever read any of these articles? They, after all, some have been published yeah. in New England Journal, JAMA. Mm-hmm. These are randomized controlled. The, the, the gamut of types of studies. Have you ever read any of these? And in, I would say more than speaking with more than a thousand physicians, no one ever once raised their hand. <laughs> and it told me that physicians don't know. They're, they're right. led by what they're hearing, and they're led by their fears. And I wanted this to be an article, a document that they would read, and they would say, hmm, you're making me think. Maybe I have been overreacting. Maybe I shouldn't be so threatened. Oh, I guess all those NPs are not out there just going to hang up shingles and compete and drive me out of business. Oh, you say a lot of them want to work with me? Ah, so I wanted to actually give a document that would be respected and read by them. So they would maybe start to turn their screws a little bit differently and, and think about how they're behaving, thinking about what they're saying. Uh, based so on I just fact. Wanted, yeah. Based yeah. on evidence. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So as you look back today, do you feel that you met the objectives? I mean, to me, it sounds like you met the objective you set out to do and more. And do you do you fi- see that as well? Do you feel like when you look back at that particular work, do you feel like it met its objective, or does it still have more work to do? Wow, that's a great question. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a personal sense, I'm pleased I was as straightforward and not—I wouldn't say bold, but sort of bold—in uh, what I wrote. Uh, And so, personally, I don't ever have a regret that, why did I chicken out? I didn't do that. Um, I was delighted that the Trump administration picked up on this, because I think it signals um, members of the Democratic Party, too, that, hey, maybe we ought to be looking at nurse practitioners. Not that they were, Mm -hmm. but this sort of gave them some some opportunity to to feel comfortable, comfortable about this. I, I want to say something also. I don't want to overstretch it, but in many of our studies that we published, and we published this, oh, I don't know, quite a few studies um, in, in really reputable journals, and we talked about some of the issues that could um, have, have affected the quality of our research, and one of them being really the most important incident to billing. And we mm-hmm. talked about how that masks the ability to really know who gave the care and at what cost. And we knew that uh, roughly 30% of physicians use that. And so it, it sort of undermined the idea of value-based payment, where you're going to pay right. a provider on their quality and their cost. And if you don't know for sure, was that provided by the physician who or the provider? was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we kept raising that issue in every one of these articles that the Medicare Payment Assessment Commission, Mm -hmm. which is this independent commission of really bright, bright, bright people in in crack staff that looks at Medicare payment policy and quality and recommends to Congress the changes in the Medicare program. They started to pay attention and uh, they 
I think we're influenced by this document as well, that we need to look at that, uh, you know, uh, incident two billing. And they have subsequently uh, collected data on that and unanimously voted to recommend to Congress to eliminate incident two billing. So I think that's mm-hmm. another measure mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. of this paper. And it's been translated um, in other languages. Uh, I know in in China, and I'm not sure if it's Mandarin, I think it's in Mandarin, but it's it's being used in, in China to sort of lift up the NP workforce that feels like, wow, the world's moving and, and we can't quite get there. And so I hope it inspires a lot of our, our colleagues uh, throughout well, the world. It definitely inspired me, and I, I would encourage all of our listeners to go pick it up now and, and read it and um, ponder upon it and where are we going uh, in the future I wish we had hours and hours and hours and hours of time to talk because you have the most fascinating stories and each one of your works has been sentinel in itself and has been um, so well respected um, here in the U.S. but across the globe. And I so I want to take it back to the very beginning and think back, you know, when you were first starting out as a as a nurse and you know, think about all of the nurse practitioners that are out there in our audience today. And some are experienced and, and they've read your works. They're very familiar with you. Maybe have worked with you, but many are, are new. Mm-hmm. They're brand new to the workforce and they're listening today and they're hearing what you're saying. Do you have any words of wisdom to the nurse practitioners that are just launching their career, just stepping out yeah. and really learning more on their own what it means to be a nurse practitioner and they're reminding themselves why they went into being a nurse and a nurse practitioner. Yeah, that's deep, uh, April. And I hope I'll say something that, that, <laughs> that measures up to that. But I, I do think uh, knowing why you did this, going back to that, revisiting your commitment is important. And if it takes you to go out and ride a horse or be in the mountains or go to the beach, do that. You need to know that reason and keep it uh, close to you. And and remember, this: it's an unshakable commitment, but you've got to be flexible to how you're going to achieve that. And right now in our country, with our health care and COVID, we need to mm-hmm. be flexible. Things are not like they were. At the same time, I feel that in... The, never before in the last 50 years do we have a political and economic and policy change going forward that will embrace the contributions of nurse practitioners. Uh, the openness, the policy that is there, uh, the behavior of the uh, affordable or the accountable care organizations mm-hmm. that now are bursting with recruitment for NPs, the fact that in, in the last 30-some years, the leading firms that recruit the workforce, number one has always been recruiting physicians. Not this year. Mm-hmm. Number <laughs> one are NPs. That's right. Um, the world is changing in our direction. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so as you go forward in your careers, it, it, remember, it takes a lot of hard work. A lot of hard work. And you, if you don't have that, think about you know, getting it because it's going gonna, it's gonna to take time. And one other maybe final thing is um, I think it can be discouraging that facts don't seem to matter. Evidence doesn't seem to matter. We just sort of go, I guess, with social media or whatever. And that's Mm -hmm. our world. 
I'm here to tell you that facts and evidence do matter. They do. It, it mattered. Mm-hmm. It, it led us to that AEI report. It led us to other areas that we haven't had a chance to talk about. And that's when the end of the day, what policymakers, uh, private corporations, CEOs, physicians, NPs, the world acts on, is on facts right. and evidence. And so don't be discouraged if you feel that doesn't matter. It does matter. So um, I, I am delighted that we are turning into a, a a policy world where we see the whole person, we see the community, and by gosh, where are those NPs practicing? They're in the community. They're That's where right. the people are. They're where health matters. And um, you can be a force of change. And I'll just end by saying, whenever I'm in a hard time and I'm just, oh, I just can't get the sentence right. I am so tired of this, blah, 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 blah. I think, mm-hmm. of, I think of the NP who's providing the care. And I think it could be it could be provided to a family member. It could be provided to me. I want that MP to be as, you know, the best supported possible. So my work has to help them. So that sort of inspires me. So I draw inspiration from people listening to this, you and I having this conversation. So I, I feel I'm, I'm lucky. I get, they, they, that's where I get my inspiration. So That's beautiful. Yeah. And those are wonderful words of wisdom and, um, definitely for nurse practitioners to always ground themselves in their why. Know yeah. your why. Perfect. And certainly with everything that you've done, know your value and, and the value that you bring to patients every day. And don't forget that. And I think that's um, so much of what your work shows and it's built on evidence. And so they can look to that as a rock and a compass Uh, moving forward. Well, it's just been a delight to speak with you today. Just lovely. It's been so neat to get to know you and all of the different stories and um, all that you've been through throughout your life. And I just hope that we'll be able to get together again in the future. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Another work. um, Hey, can I play drums then? Yep. Let's just do that. Let's just do that. You just play drums. All right. And um, I'll sing. Oh, never mind. I won't sing along, but I'll listen. Okay. Well, you're from Nashville. You can sing. Oh, gosh. Well, it's been a delight. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Peter. You are a testament to the fact that NPs can be so much more In addition to being excellent clinicians, they can have major impacts in the legislature, in business, and yes, even the world of economics. For everyone listening, please see the podcast description on whichever platform you're listening for links to Peter's articles and more information about the $101 million gift to the Montana State University School of Nursing. National Nurse Practitioner Week is less than a month away, and now is the best time to make sure you're ready for the celebration. Visit aanp.org backslash npweek to download this year's resource guide for dozens of ways to get involved and help spread the word of the incredible work NPs are doing each and every day. This year's Nurse Practitioner Week is November 7 through 13. Please subscribe to this podcast, share with your colleagues, and check back regularly for new episodes. And as always, be kind, be safe, be effective, and be the voice of the nurse practitioner. Mm